And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined as I always am by Ari Wasserman. And Ari, I'm trying to talk fast because there's a lot happening, and I feel like we've got to get a lot into this show. It's a busy time of year. Yeah, uh, and it's too bad that you won't have to travel to Fort Worth. <laughs> I'm sorry. This will be the podcast where we talk about how the NCAA doesn't want us ever to see each other. I kind of feel like there's some mass conspiracy, uh, and I'm still not even sure you're coming to the wedding. Like... <laughs> You say you are, but I haven't seen this guy for 20 months. It's a long time. Uh, and then we time. might get a double dip because after the wedding, uh, we might be at a conference together. So right. that'll be cool. That's right. Um, Listen, if Ohio State goes yeah. to the Sweet 16, it's in San Antonio, although you're not going to be there. You're not going to be in Texas. No, I'm going to be at a bachelor party. That's right. I'm not going to be. My bachelor party. I'm not going to be at your bachelor that, party. That, that, that uh, Landis was invited to and politely declined. Um. I'll, miss I'll probably be betting. I, uh, let me be honest. I don't anticipate that you're coming to San Antonio anyway. So we'll. Uh, <laughs> we can, we'll I think you're going to have a nice uh, overnight trip to Pittsburgh. You might have dinner with your f- wife's mom, and then you'll be on your way back. <laughs> well, no matter what Landis's happens. Landis's wife texted me and said she wanted to visit Pittsburgh this weekend, but her mother said she had no time. And then she found out that Bill was going to the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh and made time to have dinner with him. That's right. Is that true? Yeah, I'm the favorite. Everybody loves Dollar that's right. Hey, that's good. That's a good relationship to, to have with your mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, um, that's good. 
I like consider her. yourself blessed. I know some people that aren't in the same position, and let me tell you, but it's uh, it's a crappy existence. So just a uh, public service announcement before we get into this for me. 20 minutes before the show started, I started sneezing like I was in the middle of a twister, and uh, I'm going to do my best to not sniffle. Um, I know that has been an issue in one isolated episode in the past 12 months. I'm going to do my best to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But if it does from time to time, please bear with me because it was either we don't do the show or you have to hear me sniffle three times every 10 minutes. So I thought it was an easy trade off for them. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. We have a, we have a little bit of a window here to get this done because I am leaving. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. I'm leaving shortly after this to go to Pittsburgh, where Ohio State will play its NCAA Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Are you going to listen to Wiz Khalifa all the way there? I'm just going to black and yellow. I got a playlist that's just black and yellow 75 times. What is that exit uh, on 70 East when you finally cross into Pennsylvania and there's like that Cabela's there and there's a sheets that's there? That's in West Virginia. Yeah. It's West Virginia? Uh-huh. It's like Dallas Pike or something like that. Yeah. Do you do – you, Drive through West Virginia and then into Pennsylvania. Yes. Is that how it works? Uh-huh. Okay. I've actually got well, a, one. The last time I drove past that exit, I went to the Sheets and I bought a Powerball ticket and I won seven dollars, but I have to redeem it in West Virginia, so I'm going to do that on my drive back. Seven bones. That's right. Well, it's funny because uh, I've been paying a gambling service for college basketball picks the last two weeks, and this guy is money, like money, 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 money. And there's a max plate uh, on Wednesday evening, so you should stop off at that sheets because I think online gambling is legal in West Virginia. Cash in your ticket. Maybe get yourself one of those uh, those little PB and J Sammies that they have there, uh, and toss in a few bets while you're at it. You can, yeah, you want to Rutgers. By the time people are listening to this, this game might be over, so you'll know whether I, I lost or not. But Daddy is going big on Rutgers uh, on Wednesday evening. Love that. So. And everyone's like, why does Ari continue to refer to himself as daddy? I honestly don't know the answer to that. And there's a lot of uh, self-evaluation uh, that needs to occur in my life. But I don't know what you think about that game. You are far more into the basketball world than I am. But this is this guy's max play of the day. I don't know, who's Rutgers playing? Notre Dame in the play-in game. Rutgers wins. Yeah. Notre Dame, Notre Dame probably should not have been in. Rutgers is a dog. Yeah, I like Rutgers. Plus, I, if Rutgers wins, I get to tweet my picture of Paulie Walnuts pointing the gun with the Ruck, Rutgers logo on his hat, and I love that. So <laughs> we need that to happen. Um, but that was before inflation, Tone. <laughs> anyway, Ohio State's playing on Friday against Loyola Chicago, and it's an NCAA tournament opener. We're going to talk about that more in depth later in this episode. Uh, we have some spring football topics to get into as well. Ohio State had its first week of practice last week. They went twice. And now they are in the middle of spring break. They'll be back at it next Tuesday. Uh, I will be there um, no matter what happens with basketball. Maybe I'll be there and then leave for San Antonio right after, but I'll be there. Uh, and we'll get to watch. Two ships crossing in the night. That's right. We'll get to watch a little bit more practice that day, so I'm excited about that. Um, so we have some football stuff we want to talk about, but we wanted to kind of the first topic we wanted to get into was some news that happened last week um, after we recorded our podcast uh, regarding Harry Miller who uh, retired from football last week and put out, you know, what I thought was, I, I don't know any other way to describe it other than brave, you know, to, to kind of admit what he admitted to there. He had been going through some mental health struggles. Um, he admitted that he approached Ryan Day, telling Ryan Day last year that he was having some suicidal thoughts um, and felt like he got the help that he needed from from the program and, and, and from everything I can tell continues to feel that way. But, uh, you know, the decision that that led him to was to kind of walk away from football here. I think he'll still be part of the program in some capacity. Uh, we're obviously very happy that, that Harry is still with us and wish him the best. But I know you 
before Harry got to Ohio State, did some kind of extensive reporting on him, went down to his home in Georgia, visited with his family. So um, I just wanted to kind of give the floor to you if you wanted to share some thoughts on Harry as well. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say about that, Bill, and this is a, a jokey podcast, but and people like know us as the fun-loving uh, best friend duo, but when I read that post, and I was a few hours late to the game to, to read that, it broke my heart. And, and it was moving in a way that I can't say that I've read something that moving maybe in my entire life, like to the point where I was emotional. Again, I don't know if that had that same impact on you. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the reason why was because Harry is such a gifted writer, you know, first of all, um, and was very raw in his emotions of, of what he has gone through and, uh, you know, what he has to overcome and what he wants to do for people. And if you haven't read his specific post, uh, I don't want to read it um, for you. I think that is something that you should internalize on your own. But I strongly encourage people, uh, regardless of where you are in your walk of life, to go consume that and read that because it's an important message. And uh, the one thing I will say is that the story I went down to report on Harry Miller and his mother uh, was a hard story to report because, as you guys might recall, during the time that he was being recruited, it was also during the time where the Ohio State Zach Smith scandal was happening and domestic abuse was a, a hot button issue and uh, his mother and, and Harry invited me into their homes and talked to me about real life issues in a warm realistic and inviting way um, in a way that they didn't have to talk about it with somebody they didn't know I came from Ohio to their house in Georgia and they invited me in like I was their family um, and his mother, Christina, is a is a very powerful and uh, warm woman. And I just wanted to say that it was one of the best interview experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I felt like I was I was comfortable. Um, and they are just genuinely good people. And anybody who's even been semi familiar with Harry knows that he's a tremendous young man. The, the work that they do in Nicaragua. Um, his outside interests, he's very bright, he's very, you know, different from a typical football player, and is a kid that has everything ahead of him, and I just wanted to say that I too believe that it's a very brave thing to say, it moved me deeply, I'm very uh, thankful for him doing that, and I truly believe in a world where social media is littered with terrible things, that this is something that can help people, and I just wanted to say, uh, to you and to anybody listening and to Harry, if he hears it and to his mother, Christina, that I'm happy he's here and I'm happy that he's okay. And he's getting the help that he needs. And, and through that help also helping others is a tremendous thing. And that's something that's kind of been a theme in his life and the world's a better place with Harry in it. So uh, I don't know how much more we have to go into that, but um, I was very moved and, and I'm happy uh, that he shared his story. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's well said. And, and, and I echo all of that. Um, I guess the only thing I would add to it is it's just it was a it wasn't a good reminder it was a, it was a sobering reminder I think that that sometimes we wonder what's going on with with athletes or coaches or really anybody um, and we don't always know um, and maybe we can be a little more graceful with with some of that sometimes even myself like at that day or excuse me the day before that I asked Ryan Day a question about Harry Miller just like what's up and and Ryan Day answered it in a way that I thought was weird now I know why. But my, my inclination was like to, I don't know. I'm glad my inclination wasn't to like take that and run with it and write something that I shouldn't have written about 
you know, whatever was going on with Harry Miller at that time, which I think maybe we can get a little carried away with sometimes. So, um, and it's another reminder too that a, a football team is eighty-five scholarship players, but hundreds of people. And think about the journeys that we all have in our lives: uh, good, good times, bad times, things that we struggle with, things that we're trying to overcome, and you know, times that by two hundred people, you know, stuff happens. So, uh, you know, we are very laser focused on winning football games and making the playoff and all this stuff and uh, in a world too where things are changing for athletes and rights are starting to increase and all the things that we talk about uh, seem to be in a new environment let's just not lose sight of the fact these are people too mm-hmm. and I think sometimes I can lose sight of that you know we, we talk about people on this podcast all the time coaches players productivity he sucks he's good whatever and it's just like they're people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, again, uh, we're, we're – I guess we're appreciative that Harry saw or found the courage to share that because I think it's an important message. Um, we certainly wish him the best moving forward. As we both said, we're, we're glad he's here. And, um, yeah, I th- he's still going to continue to do great things. He's a, he's a brilliant young man um, who can impact the world, you know, certainly beyond football and was going to anyway. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he does now and as he continues his charitable work. And, and I'm sure we'll still see him around Ohio State or, or, or hear of him around Ohio State over the next couple of years as well. So uh, wish him the best. Um, more spring football stuff, shall we? Shall we dive in? Yeah, go ahead. Um, or do you, like, What do you think? Do you think we should just do 10 of basketball because it's March Madness week and people are filling out their brackets? Like what order do you think? Because I'm, I'm kind of torn. I have a yeah. thought I could about go. basketball. Okay, let's let's do let's do some hoops. Let's do some hoops, and then we'll finish with football. Yeah, we'll get there, guys. Okay. We promise. Hoops is um, hoops is fresher on the mind. Yeah, it's like it's one week a year where hoops takes precedent, and I'm I think I should be okay with that. And I think it's this week, so let's give it some respect because there are people who listen to this podcast who care deeply about the Ohio State basketball team. Maybe not the majority of you, but this is the week where everybody's at least somewhat bought in. You're filling out a bracket, trying to figure out what you want to do, who you want to bet on, all those things. And Ohio State falls into that picture anyway. I watched zero minutes of college basketball during the regular season. (laughs) I've been watching five hours a day right now, Um, and I'm entertained. And it's funny, I brought up that guy that is sending out gambling picks. He had a play with Loyola last week that I, I played Loyola. And they play the game like they did a few years ago when they made that run, where they've got very talented players for for their level, but everybody is on the same page all the time. Backdoor cuts, ball movement, people are where they're supposed to be, set plays. Like, they're very efficient in what they do, which is why I think they're able to beat more talented teams because usually mid-majors with older players, I don't know what the roster makeup is off the top of my head, maybe you do. But they, they, they play like an older team. They are they are very old, yeah. Okay, so it, it looks like it. And my understanding is that Ohio State's defense sucks. So, <laughs> to me, it seems like a matchup nightmare. Like, like a team that struggles on defense and stopping the ball, playing against a team that can run 19 sets with their, with their eyes closed, uh, doesn't seem like a great situation. And I don't know a lot about basketball. <laughs> you know a lot more. If this guy told me to bet on on teenage badminton, I would do it because the guy's really good at his job and is a really good handicapper. 
But when I saw this pop up on the screen during Selection Sunday, I'm like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> like, is that like, is that what you thought? Like, take me through your thought process of what this matchup looks like. Yeah, so I was, uh, just quickly, uh, Loyola Chicago, Ken Palm. I love Ken Palm. Ken Palm does. The man uh, or, the, or the rankings? <laughs> the, re- the, the, man, the man needs to get a haircut. I don't know if you've seen Ken, Ken Pomeroy lately. His hair is, he looks like Anton Chigurh. He needs the. But he's <laughs> too busy crunching numbers, man. What do you want him to do? He needs to do something about that hair. Uh, but his website He's too busy making moves to get a haircut. His, his website and his data on college basketball is incredible, uh, including the fact that he has experience ratings for every team in the country. And Loyola Chicago is tw- is the twenty sixth oldest team in college basketball. Their best player, Lucas Williamson, is a fifth year guard who was like a reserve on Loyola's Final Four team in twenty eighteen. Played played a decent amount. Um, and now he's their best player five years later. So, yeah, they're a very old team. Got a couple transfers. Um, it's what you would expect. So, I actually was correct with you, what I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your eyes your eyes weren't lying to you. Um, I was sitting uh, in the chair that I'm currently sitting in on Sunday watching the bracket get unveiled. And I got to be honest with you, bud. Like, as much as I would have loved to go to Fort Worth and hang out with you, I was hoping for Pittsburgh because it's just a much easier trip for me. So, I saw Pittsburgh pop up and I put both fists in the air. And I said, yes, it's close. And then I saw Loyola Chicago pop up underneath Ohio State and I went, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> this, and not because like I, I don't care if Ohio State wins or loses, but it's like in terms of a matchup, like Loyola Chicago is a ten seed. They are like the they are a top twenty five team in the country in terms of efficiency margins, and they're a ten seed. Like they're good. <laughs> and, Ohio, um, and Ohio State is not playing very well right now. <laughs> two things, one, and I say this carefully. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I was really hoping you'd come out here. Uh, I, I I haven't seen you, and I thought it'd be a fun time because Fort Worth is about I was, 35 minutes away, and I was going to take you to a few of the of the spots I've discovered and I mostly, you know, show you some, some, some southern hospitality. I mostly did a, Dallas I did, in the south. I was just really hoping to avoid Portland or San Diego. As crazy as that sounds, because San Diego is beautiful. What? I just didn't want to go to San Diego. I don't want to get – you know how I hate flying. I don't want to have to get on the plane, fly all the way to San Diego – and then spend a weekend out there and then come back and, like, have to cover spring football. Like, it just would have been exhausting. Um, Landis, the best-kept secret in college basketball beat writing, and I experienced this because I covered Ohio State when they lost to – who do they lose to in Portland? Arizona. U of A, yeah. <laughs> and half of the people I graduated were there. They lost in the first round, but you don't – because flights are so expensive. Second round. They beat, they beat uh, VCU. What am I th- – I'm thinking – Oh, they did. There was one trip. Maybe it wasn't that trip where you you fly somewhere and they lose in the first round, and then you get the whole weekend in a cool city because you don't fly back too soon. And that is the best kept secret in beat. Yeah, but I don't get that because we do it differently at the athletics. So like, myself and Brendan Quinn are going to Pittsburgh and we're covering everybody. So like, I'm covering Ohio State's entire pod. It's Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago, that Vill- is exhausting. Villanova, and Delaware. So, like, win or lose Ohio State on Friday, I'm back in there on Saturday interviewing whoever beat Ohio State um, and then covering that game on Sunday and then writing a feature about whichever team from that pod goes to the Sweet 16. So, like, I don't – I agree with you. I don't have, oh, I don't yeah. have that okay. luxury. I got you. Yeah, that's that's different. Yeah. Um, also, if anything crazy happens in that building, you have to be on guard. Yeah. So, like, I'm just – I'm going to be there. The, the more Ohio State's the first game of the day on Friday – um, Villanova and Delaware are right after that, which will be cool because Philly's team. It's Philly's team, Villanova, and also like you remember like the St. Joe's run with Jameer Nelson, right? Oh yeah, Jameer Nelson Jr. is the point guard for Delaware, which makes me feel old as shit. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, he's a junior for Delaware. A junior? 
I thought the same thing because in my mind, like Jameer Nelson's my age, but no, Jameer Nelson like playing like a, a year ago. He's like I think he's almost, I think he's like forty, so it's not that crazy. Oh yeah. I, well, I, in my head, I thought Jameer Nelson was like thirty one. I know. So did I. Because I yeah. texted my brother. He's like, "Can you believe Jameer Nelson's kids a junior?" He's like, "Isn't Jameer Nelson like 40? And I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> makes actually <laughs> makes sense. Um, but anyway, that'll be fun. Uh, but back to Ohio State. Yeah, it's not a. It doesn't look like a great matchup on paper because Loyola is like it's a program, right? It's like it's like a well-oiled machine at this point. Porter Moser is no longer there; he's at Oklahoma, but that the program kind of lives on, and I think that he built that the team that got to the Final Four in the Sweet Sixteen last year is still that thing. And the, actually, the coach now is Denzel Valentine's brother, Drew Valentine. Um, so they're they're just a really good basketball team, and there are things that they do well that do not seem to match up particularly with Ohio state, which is namely like they have an offensive identity and Ohio state doesn't know what it's doing half the time on defense, but Loyola also doesn't have EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham. So it's like, yes, they're very good. They have one NBA player. I think Lucas Williams is an NBA player. Ohio state has two, and that might be enough for Ohio state to win. Okay. Yeah. Well, the sweet spot to make the final four is always having three, right? I think you need that. That's been part of the struggle for Ohio State lately. Is they don't. It's not even a third NBA player. They just don't have like a third guy. Um, and I think Kyle Young can be that guy, but I don't know if he's going to play. We talked with Chris Holtman earlier on Wednesday that they were recording this, and there was like no update. Um, he's so important for them, but on both ends of the floor. But on, honestly, like even more important on defense. Um, without him, I think it could be pretty tough. But I also think that like if Zed Key plays and Joey Brunk plays. Those are two big guys that Loyola doesn't have bodies to match up with. Loyola is on a very big team. They have one guy who's 6'10", who doesn't play that much, and everyone else is 6'8", or smaller. Their starting front court is like 6'7", 6'8". That will make them hard to defend, but I also think it can give Ohio State an advantage on the interior on offense as well, which I expect Ohio State to try to exploit. Um, I, which is like, I, I think I'm going to pick Ohio State to win, at least this first game. I'm not, gonna, I'm not telling you I'm going to put them through to the Sweet 16, but I think the idea of like – Loyola is very good, but EJ Liddell in his last year, I think he kind of play like a man possessed. I think Malachi Branham can be refreshed. He's a pro. Um, his matchup with Lucas Williamson, honestly, like might be one of the better, best one-on-one matchups in the entire tournament. It's, it, it can be really compelling stuff. Um, but then I also think Ohio State just might be a little too big on the interior for, for Loyola. And they don't have like – Ohio State's been burned by like really good explosive guards – um, late in Big Ten play, and and I think Williamson can be that. I, maybe not explosive. He's strong, but I don't know if he's explosive. And like their point guard is a kid named Braden Norris, who is from actually Hilliard. Um, so he'll probably bang five threes because he's from Columbus and he's playing Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. But like, I think Jamari Wheeler might be able to stay with him. So if they were better, if they had a better point guard or more dynamic point guard. I might I might feel worse about this, but because they don't, and it's kind of just like, can you stick on shooters and can you not let Lucas Williamson destroy you on offense? I think Ohio State can win, but it's not. I mean, I'm not comfortable. I mean, the game's a pick. It's a pick. Em. It op- I think it opened with Loyola as a one and a half, two point favorite. Now it's a pick em in a lot of places. BetMGM actually has Ohio State favored by a point and a half, um, but it's basically a pick em. It's a seven ten game. Like I think that's probably normal for seven ten games, um, but Loyola is a very good ten, really good ten. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let me ask you, with the way that Ohio State season ended a year ago and with the way that they're playing going into this tournament, how confident are you? And I, I don't know if basketball is the same as football where the coaching staff has a lot of pool on the way to get their teams played. I feel like basketball is a little bit more of a random game than football. Mm-hmm. But, like, do you believe that Holtman – has his team like ready to play or are they kind of wounded going into this tournament? Cause it's, it feels like as an outsider that Ohio state's like limping in right now. I think two things. I, I, I think that is true. They are limping into it. And the thing you have to consider, like if you, I actually went back and looked at my state of the program story that I wrote before the season. If you made a list of the, the guys you thought would be the top seven, probably in the rotation, maybe eight in the rotation, just as suing, Seth Towns and Kyle Young would all be there. And and like just, Justice Suing was a starter, no doubt about it. And Kyle Young was going to play probably 25 minutes off the bench every night behind Zed Key. Um, Suing has played two games this year, hasn't played since November. Seth Towns hasn't played all year. And Kyle Young has missed the last four games, and we don't know if he's going to play on Friday. So, like, that matters. I know people don't want to hear it. They're, like, tired of excuses. They want to see progress. I'm like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I get it. But you have to take that into account at some point. And, and they are kind of limping into it in that sense, but also in the sense that they haven't played very well down the stretch either. Even like, even with all those absences, what they have, I don't think they've maximized what they have, which is another point. Like, and, and I think a fair criticism against this team. But I will say, like last year they played terribly. They lost to Oral Roberts. They shouldn't have lost that game. In their previous two trips to the tournament under Chris Holtman, uh, one of which they were playing okay going into it. The, the other one, they weren't playing very well at all going into it. They had to win a game in the Big Ten tournament to even get on the bubble, and then they got in. Um, both times, I, they played very well. Like They found a way to play their best, I thought, in, in both of those trips to the tournament. The first year, they beat South Dakota State, which was a really good mid-major in a 5-12 game, and they played well against Gonzaga, who was awesome that year. They lost, but it was close. And then the following year, they beat Iowa State, who they had no business beating. The team had three NBA draft picks on it, three, I think three first-round NBA draft picks on it, um, or at least two three guys who have played in the league and they beat that team and uh, that Ohio state team wasn't very good at all. And then they played a Houston team that they just kind of got out athlete at the end, but they played them tough as well. So I think the staff in two out of three trips has shown an ability to maximize the team's potential when, once it got to this point. But I totally understand if you've watched the last month of Ohio state basketball and think to yourself, like there's no way they're going to win this game. They're going to go one and done again. Like I, I totally get that. They've not inspired a lot of confidence. Do you, so they have a really good recruiting class coming in next year, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. So what is progress then? Sweet 16, is that like is that tangible, fundamental progress? You go out this year, you get to the Sweet 16, you say goodbye to some of the cornerstones that are on this roster, and then welcome in the new wave of, of players that can help get you over the hump? Or is like Sweet 16 basically the... I feel like Sweet 16 might be the ceiling 
right now for this program almost. I don't know. Am, am I like has the because the ceiling used to be the final four. We've seen it happen three times in the not so distant past and it's becoming the distant past. But. Like a sweet 16, like a reason to celebrate big time. Like, are we at that point in Ohio State basketball now where it's like you make it that far successful year? This is great. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I think a Sweet 16 should always be that. I think a Sweet 16 should be that for every program. Like, I get the expectations are different for every program. And even if even if you think you have a national championship ceiling, like, it's really hard to get to the Sweet 16. Like, I don't think people have an appreciation for that. I, I understand that Thad did it and had an incredible run for, what was it, like seven years. Like, it's not easy to do that. So, like, the, the idea that, like, oh, we should just do that every year, nobody does it every year. Gonzaga has done it almost every year for, like, the last decade. But... They're like kind of the only one, um, so like, like yes and no. Like, like Ohio State shouldn't be striving to merely get to the Sweet Sixteen, but at the same time, like when it happens, like I would hope that there is an appreciation for how difficult it is. Um, this this particular team, like I don't, I thought coming into the year it had like a, a Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight potential if they had everybody. And maybe, I think I, maybe I'd still feel that if they had everybody. The way they're constructed right now, I, I, I don't think so. I think it'd be unrealistic to say that. Weird shit happens in this tournament. Like, if Ohio State does get to the Sweet 16, I don't think I'd be shocked that they beat Loyola and they end up beating Villanova, or, or, or especially if they ended up beating Delaware for whatever reason. Um, I think it's there. Like, they have two guys who, are, who could be first-round draft picks. So, like, even if the rest of the roster beyond those two is not particularly good right now, I still think that that can get you far, um, kind of depending on what your matchups are. So... Um, if you think, I, mean, I almost would prefer that. Like, if they have two first round draft picks, I think I would prefer that over the the recent makeups of Ohio State basketball rosters. It, yeah, it's weird. Like, Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell are probably are the two best players Chris Holtman's had. Kata Bates Diop is in that conversation. Jay Sean Tate is in that conversation. But I th- I think these two are the best. But um, so I guess you'd have to say this roster is the best. But like their roster two years ago was pretty good. They were a top top twenty team going into postseason two years ago when when the tournament got canceled. Um, like top twenty in offensive and defensive efficiency, like right right where you want to be. I think like the profile of teams that typically have success in, in the postseason, they just never got a chance to play. Um, but this roster is probably still better because you have two pros. And like, how often has Ohio State had two NBA players in the past? Although I guess they had it last year because Dwayne Washington's getting buckets for the Pacers right now, so what, what do I know? Um, but yeah, I think I think you like a, a deeper roster than what Ohio State has right now. Like Justice Suing and Kyle Young are key major pieces, and anytime a team loses key major pieces, it's it's going to hurt. But a program like Ohio State should have a good enough roster that you'd be able that you should be able to absorb those losses better than Ohio State has been able to. If that makes sense. What is progress to you? One win. <laughs> Sweet 16? Is yeah, it, pro- is I mean, progress late? Progress is Sweet 16. I, it's, and, I, and I think that calculus would have which changes a little bit depending on what you do in the regular season. Like, if they, for whatever reason, like, didn't shit the bed that, the last week of the season, they, they came in the last week of the season one game back in the Big Ten standings, and then they lost three of their last four um, and, and blew their chance of contending for it. Like, if they had won a share of the Big Ten title, then like maybe you would expect more from them, but and then but if they didn't get there for whatever reason, you'd feel. But that would be about tangible it. progress that's already in the bag, right? So, but it's not in the bag. So like you're still searching for it. Um, with with this team, the way it's made up now, like if Kyle Young is like done, 
and Justice Suing, I, I think, isn't going to play, then, like, win a game against a good Loyola team, I think you feel okay about that. It's not to say that it's enough and that's what Ohio State should always be, but, like, for this particular team, um, I think I think one win is like, oh, okay, like, way to salvage something. But, you know, I don't know. Two pros, like, I keep coming back to the idea. It's like you have two pros. Like, you have two two potentially good pros on your roster and it's like that's where that's where Ohio State is so I don't know I like I I really feel like they need to get to a sweet 16 and it's not like they need to get there or Chris Holman's gonna get fired like that's not what I'm saying but last year all we talked about after the loss to Oral Roberts is like gotta take that next step gotta take that next step gotta take that next step it didn't happen in the regular season now they have this last shot to do it and like I think it feels a little too strong to say, like, for the health of the program, they need to do it. But, like, it's it's been a long time, man. Ohio State shouldn't be going this long without going to the Sweet 16. When's the last time that they were there? Uh, 2012? 2013. Yeah. They went to the – is that the lead? They went to the Elite Eight? Yeah. I'm looking it up. That was, like, another lifetime ago. 2013. Yeah, they went to the Elite Eight and lost to Wichita State. I was there. That was in L.A. So this is the cool. – We went to the pantry for breakfast that morning. I love the pantry. Um, since – Please talk about the place like right by the Staples Center, right? Huh? This, the pantry, the place yeah, right oh, by yeah, the Yeah, right Center. around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. place is good. Great flapjack. That's right. Um, this is – since the tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985, the longest Ohio State has ever gone between making the Sweet 16 is seven years. This is eight years, but it's only seven tournaments. But, like, this is as long as it's ever been. If they don't get there again, this will be the longest streak they've had without getting there. Which is At what point do you does Holtman start catching fire? If, if, if he Is he even in that realm? Or is COVID, injuries, weirdness? Like, I mean, do people are people like, what is the temperament of, a, of the regular Ohio State fan towards Chris Holtman right now? Really mixed, I think. It's, it's always hard to tell because, like, I don't know. You see a lot. You see a lot of heat on Twitter, but I don't know, like among the people who say those things, like who, what percentage of them are like really invested in Ohio State basketball, like have watched the whole season, like understand college basketball, and know what they're talking about. And I'm not trying to dismiss everyone's opinion and saying they don't. It's just hard to like get a gauge of that. So like there are a lot of people who tweet like Fire Holtman, but that could be some bot that like is not even a real person. Like I have no idea. Um, I also see a lot of like we like Chris Holtman be patient, give him time. We think he's a good coach. It's funny, like, like national writers love Chris Holman. Like, they think he is awesome. Um, I have soured on him a little bit because I've just been waiting to see Ohio State take that next step. I still think – I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he can get to, like, an elite level, and maybe Ohio State should be striving for that. Um, but in terms of, like – Should they be? Yeah, I think I – think Because that was always the major debate. It's hard. It's really hard for Thad me. Thad was there. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, what is the standard of Ohio State basketball? Is this just like a irrationally good run where Jared Sullinger and D'Angelo Russell and, well, not even D'Angelo Russell, but, you know, the William Bufords and John Deeblers, they all just fell out of the sky at the same time. And, well, that's the, like, you know, Mike Conley and Greg Odin, or is that like something that's something you could duplicate? Aside, he, Thad showed up with Greg Odin and Mike Conley in his pocket which is, like, incredible. So, like, it, it, it's, it started for him right away, and then he had an insane run. But his insane run also coincided with Ohio being really good for, like, five years. Ohio had some dudes. Like, all, like half the guy, like, Sullinger, D. 
Stiebler, Kraft, Lighty, um, Buford was a Toledo guy, right? Like they're all, all yep. you're naming all Ohio. Like that, if you if you made a list of the ten most impactful Thad Mata players, I'd say what seven of them are from Ohio, and then two are from Indiana. And then two are from Indiana, and Evan Turner's yeah. from Illinois. So it's like, and I don't know, I don't know if the Midwest footprint has been that that good. Maybe it has been. I know Ohio hasn't been that good since Chris Holman's been here, and that that's part of the thing too. It's like maybe Ohio State can really only reach that level when Ohio is as good as Ohio was back when Thad had it rolling, and maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, I'm sure that people are saying like it's Ohio State. Go wherever you need to go to recruit. Like they've done that. Ohio State has recruited na- elite national classes of guys from outside the footprint in the last decade. They've done it twice so far. It hasn't worked either time. It's also what next year's recruiting class is, which is like kind of an interesting comparison. It's like that Shannon Scott class didn't really work out. The Mickey Mitchell Austin Grandstaff class was a, was a disaster. And then this next year's class is a very highly ranked class full of a bunch of dudes who aren't from Ohio. And I'm not trying to like set the stage for more doom and gloom. It's just like that recipe has not really worked for Ohio State in the past. Yeah. Ohio State's been rocking when, when Ohio was rocking, and Ohio's not rocking right now. Can I ask one non-Ohio State-related question, and then we can move on to football? Yeah. Well, okay, just give an official prediction of what you – you said you think they're going to win, but just give me give me your Bill Landis, what you anticipate for the first weekend for Ohio State. It's it's really hard to give a pick right now because I don't know if Kyle Young is going to play, but um, and I don't be, I don't even have like a lean on whether or not I think he's going to play, but I think Zed Key will play, and I think Joey Brunk can, can give him something inside, and I think EJ Liddell can be pretty hard for Loyola to handle too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Ohio State to beat Loyola and lose to Villanova. Philly bias. Fun fact: Ohio State, not in Philadelphia, Villanova. Not in Philadelphia. Ohio State is every bit as much in Philadelphia as Villanova is. That's right. I, can, can I ask a, a God's going to punish question? me. God's going to punish me. Make me read about Villanova. Can't wait. A college. Yeah, that's going to be great. By the way, you're going to have to ask the coach how they've conned their way into being Philly's team. Um, okay, one recruiting question because this is like the stars matter in me, oh. and it's got nothing to do with Ohio State, but. How is Indiana what they are right now, and why aren't they a perennial powerhouse? Like, what is stopping them? They've got the tradition. They've got the resources. They've got the talent in the state. It's like, what college football team in America is Indiana for basketball? It's like, is it Texas? Like, what's wrong with them? Like, I don't get it. I think my personal opinion, and this sounds crazy now because he just got fired from Georgia. But I thought Indiana kind of pulled the plug a little early on Tom Crean. It's like Tom Crean was pretty good, and they had like I think he had one bad year, and they got rid of him. And they hired Archie Miller, who did not do a very good job there, and is like one of the guys I point to when I when I expound my theory of guy at a good mid major program is more about the program than it is the guy. Like I think that happens in football a lot, and I think it happened with Archie Miller in basketball. Um, I think Dayton is a good like that's like Dayton is exemplifies that. Yeah, Dayton's usually pretty good, right? Because I know, I know a, a young man named Matthew Hager that would probably push back on that a little bit. but um, Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, okay. maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm off yeah. in, that, in, that, in that comparison. In my mind, it's like Dayton, Dayton has been a pretty solid mid-major program no matter who was there. Yeah, they're solid for sure. Yeah. Um, it's like UCF in football or Memphis in football. It's like I don't think I'd hire that coach. I don't think I'd hire the successful coach from a program like okay. that. I, I'll buy that. Um, Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would be a fun conversation for when Ohio State's trying to hire Luke Fickle. Um, I think I think they had some like mis- yeah, coaching missteps 
Um, I don't know they're recruiting well enough to know if they recruited the state or if the state dipped or whatever. Um, I, but I do find Mike Woodson interesting. Like Mike Woodson got them playing, has them playing pretty good ball right now. They 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 beat Michigan, they beat Illinois to get into the tournament. They beat Wyoming on Tuesday night, uh, which was the max play of the day. Which was the max play of the day. So <laughs> I don't know. I agree with you. They should be better. It's kind of puzzling that like a program like that would ever fall off. I think Texas is a good comparison. Um, it just seems to me that they should be Duke. They were at a time, yeah. No, I know. Yeah, I just in college basketball, like what are the blue bloods? UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Duke. and North Carolina. Yeah, I wonder if it like recent success would tell you that Indiana shouldn't be part of that discussion. But eight years ago, you probably yeah. wouldn't put them in there. It would just be like if all of a sudden Alabama just wasn't very good for a while. Well, that'll happen when Nick Saban retires. Yeah, Alabama's okay, had dips. Alabama was bad before Saban got there. Yeah, I don't know who. I just feel like basketball is Indiana. Indiana basketball should be Ohio State football, or it's never bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in college basketball, it's not as easy to maintain top-level success because early exits from the tournament happen to everybody. Uh They should never be bad. Right. They've been bad a few times, haven't they? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, this is – I want to say this is the first time, like, four or five years they've been in the tournament. Googling it. Hopefully Wikipedia And doesn't. also, being in the first four doesn't count. Now they're in the NCAA This is their first... Oh, right. This is their first tournament since 2016. That's insane mm-hmm. to me. Haven't won the Big Ten since 2016 either. Man. Yeah. What a world. What a world indeed. Okay. So, what we've you, been on this Did pod- you fill out a bracket, bracket? I did, but I just copied the gambler that... And he has Loyola. He has Loyola, yeah. I think it's going to be a among the trendier upset picks is Loyola over Ohio State. Yeah, and it's like also too if I were filling out a bracket and I was trying to find what seeds were upsetting, if I saw a ten seven was a pick, I would just be by default pick the ten because you're trying to account for upsets and if the spread like they'll build a game if Loyola wins as a major upset and I'm not sure that's the case. No, and, and Ken Palm, <laughs> and I didn't realize like, Ken Palm's not the end all be all. It's just the thing that I like to use as a shorthand for, for determining quality of teams. Loyola's 24th and Ohio State's 31st. <laughs> so it's like. It's like, yeah, like Loyola's the favorite. So, yeah. like, just because they're. They sh- like, I, I understand they shouldn't be. Like, if you're no, but I, I just feel like the 10 seed thing is a fallacy. Yeah, they're, and, and teams get underseeded all the time. Um, Frankly, it probably happened in, in Holtman's first year when they played South Dakota State. That, that was like a 30-win team. They were really good. Had had the, I think, leading scorer in the country in Mike Dom. Um, that year, that year, I think Ohio State losing was the trendiest 12-5 upset, and Ohio State won. The year after, no, like no one picked Ohio State to upset Iowa State, and Ohio State won. Last year, they were favored by a lot because they were 15, or two seed playing a 15 seed, and they lost. So maybe this is a sweet spot. Yeah, well, at least it won't be embarrassing. I don't think like it last f- year it was embarrassing. Yeah, I know. Last year losing as a fifteen to two, like it, it's happened. They weren't they weren't the first to do it, but it's still rare. Um, this is a ten seven game against a really good mid major program that was in the Sweet Sixteen last year in the Final Four four years ago or five years ago. So, Sister Jean's gonna be there, huh? Um, yeah, yeah, she'll be there. Are you are you going to interview her and write a cool, fun, quirky story about how cool it is that she's there again? You know, I gotta tell you, I I don't care. 
Yeah, no, me neither. Okay. <laughs> I hate to be cynical about it. Just like, yeah, like I, yeah, good. For, I'm, I'm, Why was everybody so obsessed with her? Because she's old. I have no idea. It's like a, it's a sports writer thing. I sometimes I can't tell. It's like, is everybody obsessed with her, or is it just like self-important sports writers who are obsessed with her? I think usually it's the latter. I mean, she was in every single montage, and every single like shot, and every single game they played. There was like a twenty-minute preamble about sisters. I don't even understand what her role at the school is. She's one hundred and two years old. That's insane. That's Good crazy. for her. That's yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great for her. Yeah. Not you and me, bud. No way. That'll be, that'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, you know what her secret was? I'm hoping to make 60. Did she, uh, did she not eat pizza for every meal? She ate a lot of onions. <laughs> you know how they always ask people that are 102, how'd you do it? What was your secret? Uh, I smoked for 35 yeah, years. Marble and, menthols and, uh, and my, yeah, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, I think, lived into her mid-90s and sp- like chain smoked for 40 years on this earth yeah my great grandmother did the same thing my great grandmother smoked like a chimney chewed tobacco like more than she ate food had several heart attacks and lived into her 90s (laughs) she smoked and chewed yeah once she stopped smoking she started chewing oh (laughs) she would just sit on her on her patio chewing tobacco watching the braves on tbs that was her life (laughs) Yeah, I know people who smoke until their lungs are hurting, and then they chew until their lips hurt, and then they smoke again while their lips heal. And it's a cycle. I, I, I it would be interesting if there's anybody who ch- dips while smoking at the same that's, time. That's, uh, that's elite right there. Yeah, I mean, I know a few people here in Texas that have dipped their whole life and swallowed a spit, Ugh. like constantly. Sorry, I didn't mean to be a joke. But I, I, I gross people out, but like, I was like, how does your stomach like handle that? Ugh. God. Have you ever done it before? No, I can't. I've yeah, no. Uh, I've smoked cigarettes a time or two, but not uh, a. When I moved to Texas, I dipped I for the first time because a buddy of mine was doing it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I don't think I could ever do it like all the time. But they have flavors now, and it felt pretty good. Did they have one that tastes <laughs> like a Red Baron pizza? Because I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. Were you laughing at the Twitter last night? <laughs> Yeah, I felt I, I saw the picture. I was like, oh, man, people are going to make fun of Brit. And she's just trying to eat healthy. But did you see that? It wasn't about the pizza. No, it was about the scissors. It, yeah, it, yeah, not the scissors. It was the... the, the, so, the so for those the who didn't cut. see my Twitter, my fiance bought a vegan pizza at a healthy grocery store near us. And she put regular cheese and pepperoni on top of it before putting it in the oven, which I find to be quite funny. Because she's not vegan at all. She's gluten-free, and that, that's her problem, but she's not vegan. And she made this pizza, which is probably the size of a uh, small at Domino's. You know, it's kind of big for a small person like her, but not, not a very big pizza. And she, like, cut a slice. It was like, it didn't even make it halfway to inside, and it was thin. It was like a baby slice, and it's like, you don't cut a pizza that way. Like, have some respect. I said, have some, <laughs> have respect, some respect, even if it's only for you. You have to cut it into equal triangles so that if somebody wants to share or there's left, like this is anarchy. And then somebody asked me a question in my mailbag about whether or not I even bothered to cut my Red Baron because he just picks up the wheel with his hands and eats it like a sandwich. And that's barbaric. It is. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So we've been on this podcast now for 40 minutes. I haven't talked about football. So why don't we. Uh, real quick, before we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll close it like 20 minutes or so football. I forgot to say this at the top and I meant to. Uh, hopefully you'll listen to this before the games tip off on Thursday, but we're doing our bracket pool again on Yahoo Sports. 
Um, you should be able to search four to six with A and B 2022 on there. Um, I've tweeted it out several times. It's the pinned tweet, pinned tweet, excuse me, at the top of my profile. It's free. Create a bracket. Um, I think there's like 70 people or so in there now. Whoever wins uh, will get to come on the show at some point later on and basically like co-host with us. We'll talk about whatever you want. Um, you can be a part of the show, whole show, whatever you want. It's like the, your, your prize for winning is you get to come on the show, brag about winning, and then we can do whatever you want um, on the podcast. So it's on Yahoo. And again, um, it is the pinned tweet on my Twitter profile at Bill Landis 25. And if for some reason you're listening to this and you can't get to that, um, shoot me an email, blandis at theathletic.com, and I'll send you the link that you need to get. Uh, you know what's so funny? On, on Yahoo. I'm going to win <laughs> because the person who filled mine out is like somebody who sits into a, in a cave somewhere and just crunches Ken Palm all day. Um, and it's going to be, uh, I don't know, maybe I won't win, but like, wouldn't it be funny if I just won the competition? Yeah, I, I thought about that last year. Like, not that I've never won a bracket pool in my life and I never will, but um, if one of us ends up winning, we'll just, and pull, I never will. We'll just pick the first person. Like whoever the first person who wasn't already on the podcast who had the highest. Well, score. last year we did it with somebody. Uh, you remember his name? I don't. I'm sorry. He was awesome. So hopefully, whoever comes on the show this year will be quite as good. Take no offense. So, I don't remember anyone's name. Sometimes I forget my own family members' names. Today I was lifting weights with somebody, and uh, they said to me, "Rachel's texting me," and I said, "Who?" And they said, Rachel. And I said, I don't know who that is. And she's like, that's your mother-in-law. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some, some, uh, some Ohio State football, shall we? Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for indulging us here with some hoops talk. It is March Madness. Um, and if, every, if this weekend goes uh, the way everyone thinks it's going to go, that'll be the last time we talk about basketball until next March probably. Um, we'll see. Spring football underway. Uh, we talked with Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, Kevin Wilson receivers and running backs last week Ari as as someone who is not you know around the program day to day like you used to be who among those people would you have been most interested to talk to last week and why uh I think the answer to that question is obviously Jim Knowles right Mm -hmm. and I don't really know that I'd be particularly interested in the things he was saying of course I would be to a certain extent because quotes are gold and our currency in our business but I just would have liked to see the temperament. Yes, I think that's a good like, point. Yeah. Did he walk with that George Bush, like out to a press conference walk where he was determined to get to the microphone, or like, you know what I mean? Like, did he have an aura about him of like, okay, guys, I'm running the show here? Yes. Which like I, I sometimes feel like corny even mentioning, but I think there is a thing about having a presence about you, and it's not so much like, oh, how do you handle the media? It's like I want to, I want to see if I can pick up on like how you, how you command the attention of the team, how you command the attention of the defense that was terrible last year and has to be much better next year uh, while it's learning your brand new system and and how seriously he respects the dire situation. Yes, yes, and I and I would say that you know in that regard he's kind of checked all the boxes, um, and, like to the point where like the first question was from Dave Biddle was like, uh, what's your philosophy on tackling? And, like, Jim Knowles, like, stands up and gave, like, a five-minute tackling clinic, um, which was, like, very informative. Um, I, I just, like, both times we've talked with him, I've I've come away feeling really good about his ability to connect with players. Um, I think there's, like, you know, there's enough out there about him from Oklahoma State about how he runs meetings. They're, they're shorter meetings. They're super interactive. He, he is a guy who is an older guy 
who you might assume some things about but it, because of that. But he is a sharp guy who I think is really good about meeting his players where they are and connecting with them in a way that like truly gets through to them but is not overburdening them with which a ton is of a, information. Which is a concern when you hire a coach of a certain age. Yeah, and, and also who runs what I think is a fairly complicated defensive scheme, or com- complex maybe is, is, is a better way to describe it. So um, I, it just like reinforced me. Like I thought it was a good hire when they made it. We'll see the results on the field, right? Maybe maybe in, in November we're talking like this was a terrible hire. But it just reinforced to me, talking with him now twice, just feel like Ryan Day in his search to find a guy who can be, quote-unquote, the head coach of the defense, just like the command that side of the ball and, and not have to be – um, interfered with in any way whatsoever by by the head coach or anyone else on that side. Um, I think Jim Knowles is that guy. What did you think was the most interesting thing he said? Hmm. Uh, pr- probably stuff about the safeties. Um, he reiterated the point that it is a safety-driven defense, which I wrote a little bit about last week. But what's interesting with that is we've talked before right about Court Williams, and maybe we thought he he could get a look at linebacker. He was not at linebacker on the first day of spring practice. He was with the safeties. And because Josh Proctor is out right now um, and could work his way back in as, as spring goes along, uh, Court Williams and Ronnie Hicklin were playing together, which I don't think is, is crazy, but it didn't happen last year. It was like Court was Ronnie's backup last year for the most part until they got to the Rose Bowl where they like needed another linebacker on the field. And like Court kind of did some of that stuff. But the idea of like – you have three safeties out there and, and two of them at the same time could be Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams, I thought was very interesting. Yeah. But I, but I also don't want someone um, – I don't know if it was an email or maybe someone left an interview on Apple uh, said something to the effect of, like, like why are we writing off Josh Proctor? Like, we're, uh, we're not, and I didn't want it to come off that way. Um, I think all three of those guys can play. It's just a matter of, like, right now, Josh Proctor is coming back from a broken leg and, like, will not be full go this spring. And they need guys to play safety in the spring. So there's an opportunity there for someone to really grab a hold of a job. Um, And it just puts Court Williams in an interesting position. It makes Ronnie Hickman kind of switch positions to more of a free safety role than a boundary safety role that he was in last year. But it puts Court Williams in a spot to, I don't don't want to say win a job, but, like, just plant a seed in Jim Knowles' head like, man, this is a guy I have to get on the field in some capacity, which like I think some of us felt about him already, but the door I think is really open for that now because they're just a little shorthanded in that position. You know what I find fascinating? Fans cling to individual players. I mean, so do media. Yeah. I'm it's guilty just like, of that. Why would some random person, and I'm not saying you're right or wrong, be so concerned about Josh Proctor that they would re- write a review about it? It's like... Well, it was Why just, it was just a question. It was a question. It was a, yeah. yeah. And I thought it was a fair one because it was like, it was asking more about like why why and how we ask questions because it was like D- Doug and I like kind of double teamed on that particular piece of information. Um, we all saw court with the safeties and Doug was Doug just asked specifically about court and he said like, I need court out there. And then I followed up with like, could court and Ronnie play together? Because you're just trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and it's not like, screw Josh Proctor. Oh, I see doesn't need him anymore. We're just talking about guys we saw with our own two eyes who were available. Of course, when Josh Proctor is healthy, he's going to factor into that discussion. He's just not healthy at the moment. So maybe, maybe we yeah. should have talked about him more, but we weren't purposefully not talking about him as some kind of slight. It's just like we're looking at what's directly in front of us, and at the moment, Josh Proctor is not directly in front of us. Yeah. 
Kevin Wilson compared Donovan Jackson to Trent Williams. I'm listening. That was fun. <laughs> I think he's more of an Orlando Pace guy myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't stop Kevin Wilson mid thought and say, "Can you stop comparing players in college to all time greats, please?" Because Trent Williams might, might be the best offensive lineman in football right now, and in, in pro football right now. Um, but it was more about his but, athleticism than anything else. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm all in on this comparison. You know how I feel. Listen, I love I love Donovan Jackson too, and I've I've not been shy about that since Ohio State signed him. Um, I I asked Kevin Wilson if they considered playing Donovan Jackson last year, and his answer was basically like, "Well, Stud trusted the older guys, but if I would have made the decision, I would have been fine playing Donovan Jackson." Like he didn't say it in those those words explicitly, but like that's basically the gist of what he said. So, what's the translation of that? Uh, listen, asshole. I think they're Donovan. Like they weren't they weren't good enough a guard last year. And it was like because like in their search to get like the quote unquote best five, they played two guys out of position and hurt themselves for it. And like I feel bad saying that because Thayer Munford had been a really good tackle up until that point. He just wasn't a very good guard. And Paris Johnson was like an okay guard, but clearly I think uncomfortable in those spots. So like they I just I feel like they could have been better up front last year if they would have been willing to pull the trigger on that. Um I understand why they weren't, but I still felt like it was a question worth asking because, like, that Donovan Jackson showed up in June and impressed people enough to the point where, like, they put a different number on him and made him a jumbo tight end. So, like, they felt comfortable with him on the field. And Kevin Wilson said, like, listen, if Donovan Jackson was out there, I'm not changing anything I call. Ryan Day's not changing anything he calls. Like, we think this kid can do everything. They just didn't play him because they had older guys in front of him, even though those older guys were playing out of position. But, like, I can't help but think, like, could the offense have been, like, 2% better, 2% more efficient running the football if they would have had a guard playing guard, and that guard was Donovan Jackson, even if he was a true freshman, I don't know. That's maybe, and then who comes off the field though? Someone's off the field. If that's, you do that. that's, that's, that's that's the that's thing. The no, thing. I understand yeah. that. It's like you're gonna take. But who would you take off the field to make them two percent better in that scenario? Harris, Thayer, Munford, or Dewan Jones and move Thayer to back tackle. I don't know. I think, I think I'm waving my head. I think that's yeah. I think that's why it was difficult because it's like okay, you want to play this guy who comes off the field. It's like because oh. even like Matthew yeah. Matthew Jones is good too. Like they rotated Matthew Jones in. Why couldn't they rotate Donovan Jackson in? I, I don't know. Yes, yeah, too many good players, dude. Listen, it's I say it's got too many it's good a, players. It's a problem. It's not like a, I probably sounded more worked up there than I actually am about it. It's probably it's certainly in hindsight. No, no, no. I think that you're just. I think that's. You're a lot, you're an offensive line guy. Well, in, in hindsight, like whatever, you can't you can't change it now. But it's just like the way the way they talk about that guy now, combined with how like I have felt about him since he come in. Like who am I? I'm just a guy. But it just I couldn't help but think like, I feel like that guy should have played more last year. Yeah, I don't know. People feel that way all the time about players. I think it's rarely on the offensive line, but that's where that's where my head goes. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I mean, lean into it, bud. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. So we talked with the receivers on Thursday before I went to Indianapolis for the for my short stay there for the Big Ten tournament. Um, we talked with a lot. First of all, I was I was running around like a crazy person because they had six tables set up at one time and like all six tables were going. And I was I'm just a, I'm I'm. Were you dropping recorders? I only have three, um, and I think I think I'm the only person on the beat who's a one man show. I was trying to think about that the other day, so like I didn't get to everybody. I, I got like a little bit of everybody, but I didn't get to spend like extensive time with everybody. Um, and the one guy like I got, I was around for maybe three minutes, was Cameron Babb. Um, 
who is healthy this spring, like, doing everything, is not limited in any way whatsoever. And this kid, like, is jacked. Like, he is – I saw the He video. is among yeah. the most physically impressive-looking players I've seen covering this team. And, like, I don't know why I never noticed it before. I mean, frankly, I don't – maybe I've never been around him in that way before. But, like, you look at him, like, oh, yeah, like, like he's one of the best receivers, right? Um, and, like, everyone kind of said – when Cameron Babb is healthy, like this kid is legit. He's had four devastating knee injuries. He was a top hundred player, wasn't he? Yeah, he's like, he like number seventy something overall. Yeah. He's torn each ACL twice, and is, is somehow still giving it a go and still playing. And like we credit him for that. I hope he's able to get on the field. But like, my question to you is, like, is it realistic? Like, is he gonna say say he's healthy? Say he gets through this and he's healthy. It's like. Cam Babb playing for Ohio State in some meaningful way, a realistic possibility this year, given all they have at receiver. This Cam Babb has kind of turned into, like, the emotional captain of the team, right? I mean, he was literally a captain, yeah. Yeah, but, like, emotionally. Yeah. And, like, people view him as a leader. And here's what I think about Cameron Babb. He's fighting two separate battles right now. One, he's fighting his body. Because he has to stay healthy and get to a point where he's physically able to compete at a high level, despite the fact that he's torn two ACLs twice. Um, so that, in and of itself, is a hard thing to do. To stay healthy, to be confident, to get your body in a place where you're competitive. But on top of that, you have to be one of the best receivers in college football to get on the field with the guys who are going to be on the field. So, to me, if you look at the way that it's going, I would think that it's unrealistic. Now, depending on what you what you think of as like a real role, like is he a twenty five catch person? Maybe, I don't know. He's never caught a pass. So, like he's, the, he's yeah. Like I don't know. He's only like, been healthy he for like, one fall, and he has not caught a pass. Is he on the field enough to be targeted twenty five times? I think the answer to that question is maybe. Maybe not. I don't. I just don't know. Like between all the other top 100 players that are on the team that are healthy, like you have to win both of those battles just to even get a sniff. Yeah. And I don't know, like how realistic that is. I mean, also, I saw that Ohio State got a bunch of crystal balls for Carnell Tate the other day. Yes, uh, he put out a top five. What's today? Wednesday on Tuesday night, um, like right on the heels of a Notre Dame visit, which way to freak people out a little bit, but. Um, I've I've kind of assumed from the jump that that's been Ohio State. Now Tennessee's in his top five, and Tennessee may or may not be dropping monstrous bags to get players in its twenty twenty three recruiting class legally this time. Legally this time, um, so we'll see if, if they they should still stick with the McDonald's. They should. Did they give Nico Iamaleva eight million dollars in a McDonald's bag? That's a big McDonald's bag. How much would $8 million fit into um, if you did it in high denominational bills? Yeah, if it's big bills. What's the biggest Could bill? Could you fit it into a diaper pail? Is $100 the biggest bill? Is there a bill bigger than that? I think $100 is the biggest bill. Yeah, that's a lot. still a lot of bills. Unless there's like a $500 bill that's out like, there that's like a fun Jeopardy question that I don't know that's about. That's like this, I don't know. the pile of money that my man lays down on in, in uh, Breaking Bad. No, right? I don't. No, I don't think it is. I think that's like eight. I think that is like $500 million. Oh, okay. Can eight million dollars fit in like a duffel bag? No, I don't know. I don't know. Didn't didn't? No, no. At the end of the show, because I watched the final season a few weeks ago, Walter White had eighty million dollars, and that was the pile. 
But if you remember in the show, it was every denomination. Yeah. Skylar was complaining about how it was every denomination. There's no way to count it. Um, So they figured out that it was 80 million. I think that you could fit 8 million in cash into a, into a, into a backpack. That's a lot of bills, man. I don't know. No, I don't know. Maybe a suitcase. A checkable suitcase. Like a carry-on. No, no, like one that you have to check at the oh, gate. Okay. The one you get the you get the fifty pound weight limit in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm Googling it. One second. <laughs> anyway, if Tennessee decides it wants to give that to multiple players in its twenty three recruiting class, and I guess maybe they become a, a player, but yeah, I think I think Ohio State is going to get Carnell Tate. I, I would and I, I think they still have a shot at Brandon Ennis, although from what I'm hearing and reading, uh, USC seemed to have made quite the impression on Brandon Ennis and his South Florida Express teammates when they were out there uh, recently, so do you have uh there's there is a uh this is probably for drug dealers but there is like a calculator on the internet that can tell you how much money you have based on dimensions and denominations oh, that's great my the thing that i marvel at marvel at all the time and i guess we're at the grab ass portion of the podcast is that like every four years there's a new story that some asshole in columbia found an 80 mil, eight million dollars yeah. is buried in some sinkhole just found some in the middle of columbia yeah. yeah yeah they're just discovering i think i read a stat somewhere now, Pablo Escobar used to spend a million dollars a month on rubber bands to tie up his money. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> God, that guy had so much money. Uh, Pablo. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand what it would ever be like to be Bill Burr and lay on that pile of money. But I always question when I watch these movies of like, all right, guy, I think I think you won. You, you can enjoy life now. <laughs> You know, there's always that point where it's just like, why are we still doing this? Just stop. Yeah, just stop it. Like Peter Griffin, stop it. Just stop. Uh, Real quick, just one last thing on camera, Bab, I guess. Like, Johnny Dixon's name came up quite a bit. And Johnny Johnny was a guy who people, I think, wrote off because he had troubles with his knees. Not, Not quite the same as Cameron Bab. I think Johnny's was like more like arthritis and soreness. He didn't have... Ligament damage in his knees, the way that the Cam Bam, Cam well, Bab how, has. How serious is an ACL tear in twenty twenty two? Well, I think I think more and more you see guys come back from that quickly, right? Like, I mean, I'm like three, four months. I'm shocked my man has torn four ACLs and is still playing football. And is, so like, you would still be in the recovery process. Yeah, like just based on if it's a calendar here for everyone, but I think it's a, I think it's a surgery and four month recovery situation now. I mean, back when he got game came out, like tearing your ACL was like a career-ending injury. Yeah, and I would think the same. Like Ohio State's had guys come back from Achilles tears like really quick. Um, so I think you know there's there are some medical advances there that are probably on Cam Bab's side for sure. Um, In fairness, the people who did have the Achilles heels couldn't run before the injuries. Don't don't slander uh, Justin Hilliard like that. No, he didn't have one. Who had the? Oh, it was Master Teague. Sorry, Justin Justin Hilliard had the bicep. No, that's not who I was thinking of. You were thinking of tough. Yeah, tough Borland and Master Teague were the Achilles. Uh, Master Teague actually can run, Justin, just in a straight line. Justin Hilliard had the torn, multiple torn biceps, which is also a crazy thing. There's been some weird injury stuff at Ohio State. I mean, think about being a linebacker, though. I feel like that that that's, it should be more common. Tearing a bicep? Like, if you think about like having to, to, you know, wrap. I feel like, I mean, that would be yeah, a lot of strain. Painful. I, feel like my, I feel like if I had to tackle... A college, even a high school player, if someone said go tackle that person, and I like actually got to them and wrapped my arms around them, I feel like I would tear my both my biceps instantly. 
Yeah, and I feel like most ACL tears just happen like in non-contact situations like what happened to Odell in the Super Bowl. But mm-hmm. I have a theory on why there's more lower leg injuries now. What's up? And I don't know if this is just stupid, but you tell me. Like, you watch football. The amount of times defensive backs just dive headfirst into someone's knees when they're tackling him is, like, insane. Well, it's like the only place like they let, let you hit them, though. So, but, like, there's no rapping either. It's just, like... I remember one time I was at the Jewish Community Center, and I was playing one-on-one with my friend Mark Celebrity, who will meet at my wedding. Can't wait. And he was kicking my ass, and I got pissed off. And and we were, like, in high school, and I, like, dove at his knees while he was dribbling and pretended like I tripped, and, like, I almost blew his knee out. And I feel really bad about that. And it's just, like, that's how everybody tackles on every play. It's just, like, reckless abandon of smaller – scrawnier defensive backs like barreling their helmets into people's kneecaps it's like yeah there's like there's no you know the idea of head up lower center of gravity grab the legs wrap and pull up is just not a thing anymore and it's like i know that he gave a uh, jim Knowles gave a tackling clinic but i feel like tackling in the modern day game is just like sweep him like street fighter with your with your shoulder pads yeah there's a lot of it's the rugby style tackling is is lower on the body like kind of wrap and roll um Cam Bab, I don't. Cam actually ran through. But there's not a lot of rapping, is there, Bill? Uh, depends on how you teach it, I guess. I think I think they teach it. Like when you're watching football as a spectator, do you see a lot of 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 rapping? With the best tackling teams, you do, yeah. But not by and large, like on average, probably not. Not enough, anyway. Especially when a player gets to the second level, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of. That was part of Ohio State's problem last year, I thought, with their tackling. It's like a lot of guys like flying in out of control, hitting somebody like up on the shoulders, bouncing off them, and then that guy keeps running. It's like that's not that's not how it's done. Um, that's not how Jim Knowles teaches tackling, by the way. So uh, Ohio State should be a better tackling team next year. Um, Cam Bab ran through all of his knee injuries, and most of them sounded like – I think all of them were non-contact. He said the last one was like he went up for a catch, he came down, uh, landed weird on his knee, and, and tore it for the, for the fourth time. So um, there's a lot of that that happens too. Guys just kind of land awkwardly. Um, but it was like to, in, to see him out there talking and doing interviews as like, I am a guy who was involved this spring was very cool for a guy who's had a lot of injury setbacks. Um, and I'm just, I, I hope for his sake, he is to the point where he gets through this, he gets through summer and like next September, he's like, I'm ready to play. And then we'll see what kind of role that is for him. Because outside of Jackson Smith and Jigby, even though they're really good, like the roles aren't solidified. And like you said, he's a top hundred guy. So like if Cameron Babb was just a second year player in the program who's been biding his time waiting to play with this recruiting rank, he'd be like, Yeah, of course that guy might have a role this year. But I get because of his injury history you might you might feel a little differently, but I don't know. I think it's just the dub the two prong battle that he's facing yeah. that makes it hard. There's also something about him that makes me think like if he's if he's healthy, he's gonna he's gonna force his way um into the equation somehow. So. I don't like comparing him to Johnny Dixon because of those different injuries. But there is a certain attitude. Like, I remember Marshawn Lattimore had it, too. Yep. Or it's just like, you get injured every year. Like, what the hell's the point? And these guys are just chipper and positive thinking and, and you know, I'm blessed to be here type guys. And, like, I feel like watching the interview that Cam Babb has that same temperament. Yeah, and, it, and those kind of guys, it, like, it tends to work out for them for whatever reason. So. Um, but working out for Cam Babb could mean, like, catches a big touchdown in a close game in the third quarter one time this year. I don't think it means like 60 receptions. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying like, do you think yeah. Cam Babb is going to be their second leading receiver behind Jackson Smith and Jigba? Although I don't know, maybe he could be, I wouldn't pick that, but 
if there's a little bit more of a rotation this year, and I think there will be, at least on the outside spots, I think he has a chance to be, to be a part of it if he's healthy. Yeah, so, yeah, it's certainly something to track. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing, I'm buying a little bit of Evan Pryor stock. I would like to purchase some Evan Pryor stock. I like that kid. Uh, based on what people are saying or anything you saw, or just based on him, like he's. I thought I thought he had a little bit of a pop last year, just like a little bit of burst that I kind of liked. When the, the little bit that he got in there, um, and I think he's done some things this year physically to put himself in a better position to get a little bit more of a workload. Um, it was kind of weird. Like every time we talked, every we talked with him and Trevion Henderson. Um, and Mayan Williams, but I I really only spent time with Evan Pryor of those three, but the conversation was like the three, the three, the three. It's like Marcus Crowley is still in the equation somehow. He's still on the roster, but it was like it was always Trey and Mayan and Evan, and like those three guys. Um, and I think Evan is a little different than the other two in terms of like what he can give you as a receiver. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, the number two back or get ten carries a game, but I think he can get like four or five touches a game and do a little something with it. Um, and I think he's more in a better place physically to be a guy who can like run between the tackles more often and like take a little bit more of a workload on his shoulders than he's required. To do I mean, so. I went to his high school in North Carolina and he was tiny, so I don't know what he looks like now. He's not. But I was like, this is this guy's probably two years away from playing because he was so small. He was like one ninety, I want to say, in high school. Maybe at the time you saw him, he might have been even been, been smaller than that. Um, he's over two hundred pounds now. He's like two oh two, which is not huge. Um, it's probably like 10 to 15 pounds lighter than like Trevion Henderson is. Um, but it's better than it was last year. So we'll see. I don't, he could be an odd man out for sure that maybe that's more, more likely that the scenario for him, but, um, he's got a, he's got a receiver running back kind of versatile skill set that I find interesting. Um, and I, I'm wondering if it can get him on the field a little bit. So, yeah, that is interesting. Okay. We'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of four to six with AMV subscribe to the athletic, the athletic.com slash four six. I believe it'll still get you uh, $1 per month. Uh, tons of NCAA tournament coverage coming over the weekend. If you're into it, we have two people, um, at every site we have, we have three and, and four and a couple of them, but at least two at every site. Um, we'll, we'll be writing about all the biggest stories and I'll obviously be there writing about Ohio state, um, win or lose. So, uh, enjoy the tournament this weekend. Uh, and we'll get back to talking about spring ball and whatever happens with the Buckeyes in the tournament next week. Thanks for listening.